Refined podcast features conversations around art and faith and the refining experience of engaging with God, our art, and each other for the sake of holiness and wholeness. I'm Chris. Welcome to the conversation. Hi, friends. This is just a quick heads up to let you know that this episode deals with the topic of infant loss. It isn't the main focus of our conversation, but we do talk about it. If you're sensitive to this subject, you might want to skip this episode. However, if you're acquainted with grief, I hope you'll give it a listen and find some encouragement here. I'm always afraid that I'm going to forget to hit record and we'll get to the mm-hmm. end of the conversation. I'll be like, well, that was really fun. <laughs> and I forgot and to record it. We'll have to do it again sometime. Yeah. <laughs> I'm here with Kristen Vanderlip. Did I say that right? Yes, you did. Yay. Hey, Kristen. Thanks for joining me today. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm super excited. I am looking forward to getting to know you a little bit more. And um, I guess before we totally jump in, I'll let you share a little bit about who you are so that if people are listening and haven't already connected with you, they can know a little more about you. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Um, So I like to tell people that I am passionate about spreading the love of writing as a source of healing and hope. And that kind of encompasses kind of all the different facets of my work and kind of who I am and what I love. And so I wear different hats. Um, I'm a writer. I'm a writing coach. Um, I consider myself like a journaling mentor. I host a lot of different um, guided workshops to help people tap into that healing power of writing. And I'm a former English teacher, also um, a veteran military spouse, and I also happen to be a bereaved mother. Um, So grief is a part of my story. And with the military life, um, I just kind of share that with people to preface that I know um, a lot about the hard, dark moments of life. And I like to share what I have learned about moving through those with others, especially for me when it comes to creativity and writing. Oh my gosh, that's, that is so good. And you have a, you have such a, a varied background. I look forward to hearing more and we have some things in common. I grew up, my dad was in the military. So I grew up in okay. living that life, moving every two years until I was 18. <laughs> oh, well, I want to pick so, your brain about that sometime. <laughs> that was a whole thing. I, um, you know, it's, I'm sure, you know, from being a military spouse, like there's blessings and gifts mm-hmm. of that lifestyle. And then there's yeah. some really hard things associated yeah. with that lifestyle that, um, you know, you don't have any say in or choices yeah. about. So it definitely is a mixed bag, but, um, I, I got to travel. So there are some, you know, I have some sweet memories of traveling from yeah. living, living that way, but yeah, we can talk about that at some <laughs> point, but, um, man. Okay. So you said some hard things to a bereaved mother. So mm-hmm. I read a little bit of your story. I think you yeah. have something on your website mm-hmm. about it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because I was reading and I just, my heart was like, oh mm-hmm. my gosh. So yeah. maybe we'll touch on that some too. Mm-hmm. Um, when I reached out to you to ask you if you would sit down with me, what I told you these conversations center around is this um, idea of what it looks like to experience God's refining in our art and in our mm-hmm. vocation. And I ask that question to anybody who I talk to because I feel like knowing other people's stories about what it looks like to experience that kind of, um, it's care, right? Like God's refining yeah. is his care for us. Mm-hmm. So what it, what it feels like to experience that in our lives specifically, because 
I don't know about you. I would imagine this is true. But for me, so much of that refining is experienced in my work and in Mm -hmm. my art or my creativity. That's where God meets me in that space. And that's where a lot of that kind of sandpapering Mm -hmm. and um, shaping happens, which as somebody who said, you like to help people use writing as a tool, Mm -hmm. then I'm sure you know exactly what I'm talking about. So (laughs) yeah, you're like, yes, this is what I do. So Mm -hmm. I would love if you would just talk a little bit, like maybe just share some of your story of what that has looked like for you. And you can go any any direction, vocation, art, both, mashup, yeah. anywhere you want to go with it. It'll probably be a mashup of yeah. all the things. But yeah, I mean, I think that that is... I think I'll start with saying that grief and creativity have been some of those greatest refining moments for me spiritually in my relationship with God. And... I think, you know, I'll, I'll start as far back, but not tell you my whole lifelong story of being here for 38 years on this earth, but I'll just, you know, for context of the story, and you might relate to this too. You know, when I look back on my childhood, I was always a creative kid. You know, I was always painting pictures and painting my face and just always artsy and designing my own cartoons and writing my own storybooks. And I even saw the, a little bit of the teacher come out to me in my childhood. There's, there's pictures of me where I am, I have my little stuffed animals lined up in my bedroom and I'm sitting on a stool and I'm reading them a book and I'm like teaching a class of stuffed animals. And so like I look back on my childhood where I kind of see myself as my my purest little form. And I see these ways that God kind of wove into who I am, just this creative side and this teaching side. And, and then life happens And then I started to kind of shut down on those things and put them into boxes to try to please people or try to fit in for whatever reason. And when I got into high school, I was still dabbling in art a little bit. um, And I had this idea to be a dreamer. And wouldn't it be cool if I could go to art school? Mm -hmm. Now, this is like junior year of high school. And I had taken some art courses. I didn't develop a portfolio. (laughs) I hadn't actually practiced anything like needed that was needed to um, find acceptance into a college (laughs) that was um, for art. But I tried anyways. And I got a rejection letter. And I had somebody very close to me kind of scoff at that and say, what did you think would happen? Like you thought you would actually be good enough to get into art school. <sighs> and and I don't think they intended it to come off as harshly as it hit me. Um, but that really impacted me. And that was the first time I kind of got this creative resistance voice in my head. Mm. And I don't know if you can relate to this at all, but it's, it's that like, who do you think you are? Like, who do you think you are that you think you could create this or that you could do something that would be perceived as good by anybody and a foothold kind of got into me there. And so I did the more practical thing and I became a teacher Mm. (laughs) and I kind of just put my desire to write or my desire to create as like, Oh, it's a fun hobby when I can get to it. And so kind of growing into adulthood, it was becoming more, this is just a pipe dream, get practical, get a degree in teaching, teach other people, which for me was so purposeful and wonderful. And it was a way to still be creative. Mm -hmm. Like I didn't see it like at the time as like, oh, teaching can be a creative thing that gives me life. It was um, just in a different way. 
And then kind of fast forward through my story a little bit at this time, I'm like really, really passionate about my relationship with God and Jesus. And, you know, for my personality type, I definitely went towards um, having kind of a performative formulaic faith. Like I'll be the good girl. I'll do all the right things. I've got my like type A personality. I'll have it all on track. I'm going to go to college. I'm going to get my degree. I'm going to get my job. I'm going to get married. I'm going to have kids you know, do the things that are actually probably most people in America have that version of how life should go. Mm-hmm. And it it went pretty well that way. And I ended up getting married to my high school sweetheart, who also decided to um, become an officer in the army. Mm-hmm. And he told me before we got engaged, he, he, you know, he let me know that, you know, he wanted to marry me, but he's like, Hey, heads up. Um, I'm going to become an officer in the army. So you need to know that this will be your life with me if that's what you want. And so I, of course, was like, but you're my best friend and I love you and I'll go where you go and it'll be great. And I didn't know anybody in the military growing up. Um, Mm. I'm from north of Chicago and there was like a Navy base nearby. And maybe we saw some sailors at the mall on the weekend, but Mm -hmm. I I didn't know anybody. I didn't know army life at all. I had no idea signing up for. Yeah. So fast forward again a little bit. We're married. Um, I'm working as an English teacher. I'm loving it. We get pregnant. Everything's just like smooth sailing. This is how life should be. And at this time, I'm not really practicing writing art, anything at all. I'm just focusing on my career and teaching and marriage and all that. And he ends up graduating. He um, gets assigned to his first duty station in Southern Alabama. So like we went from Northern Chicago to Southern Alabama. And that was like the year that I will talk about and I'll write about where just like everything got flipped upside down. Everything that I knew about life, um, a lot of what I thought I knew about God, um, it was just a complete undoing for me. Um, and so we moved and that move brought a lot of loss in and of itself of community of just everything that I'd known my career. Um, but I, I was pregnant and I was ready to become a stay at home mom. And so I was kind of gearing up for like, this is a big adventure. Like we're going to get to go to Alabama Mm -hmm. and we're going to see a new part of the country and we'll make new friends and it'll be great. And then I realized, you know, I'm having to change doctors and have a baby, (laughs) You know, my mm-hmm. family doesn't live here. I'm um, right. sure they'll come visit. And so it was just like little losses that I kept just trying to like shoo away like a fly. Like, eh, not a big deal. Not a big deal until it became a big deal. And so the the hard part of my story is that um, when we had our daughter in December, and this was 2009, we went into the hospital thinking, you know, we we're giving birth to like a healthy baby. And we knew that that was going to be hard and all of that. But Um, we had no idea just um, what was in store for us. And so um, she was born and she had some complications at birth. And so she was life flighted to a children's hospital Mm -hmm. in Birmingham, four hours away from us. And I know this is a long story. So thanks for um, letting me uh, share this with you. Cause I think the the grief in my story completely relates to um, the way creativity um, has nurtured my spirituality and my relationship with God. And so, um, you know, this, this birth story of our daughters doesn't go as planned, you know, she's four hours away from us. 
we mm. end up making our way to be with her. We didn't know what was wrong. She was having to have some surgeries and some blood transfusions and just all these things. And so oh we're in the hospital with her for um, a number of days while doctors are just, you know, running all sorts of tests and what they end up discovering, um, I don't even remember how, like a week after she was born or so, was that she had a fatal chromosomal disorder called trisomy 18. And so it was just one of the most, obviously, no surprise to anybody, just one of the most devastating um, pieces of news you could ever hear. And I just vividly remember the doctors telling us that trisomy 18 makes her life incompatible with life. And it's an impossibility for her to see her first birthday. And so when I heard just like life incompatible with life and an impossibility, that was the first time where I was like, I don't know what to pray. You know, I don't know that God could fix this. I, this doesn't seem like something God could heal. And so like my prayer life and my hope life kind of felt like it was in crisis a little bit with that news of processing this new life we've been given is essentially like I was interpreting it as, you know, destined for death. And I didn't know how to compute that. And also I was a new mom going through all of the hormone changes and the body. And it was just, it was so much. Um, and it was so hard, but in that grief, like I, I had nowhere to run or turn. Well, I guess I did have choices. Um, I could have done a ran, uh, you know, array of things. And I ended up just, you know, turning just to God, just like that. That's when I become just became really intimate with lament. Mm -hmm. And I, I'd never been introduced to that phrase before, but I was doing it without knowing what it was. Yeah. And Know, just crying out to God on a daily basis. And that was obviously just such a pivotal refining moment for me in that grief. And what ended up happening um, was, you know, he was very much faithful and, you know, I have all sorts of stories I could tell about his provision and his presence and all of those things. But um, in losing our daughter and then in starting this military life that had us moving every one to two years, mm -hmm. um, had us going through deployments and just there's other types of trauma and trials that are happening. It was just all a lot. And then we started to have more babies and we had two healthy sons. So I have two sons, Isaac and Isaiah, and they're lovely and wonderful. And also, you know, I was still a a grieving mom. I was still yeah. grieving. I was still trying to figure out military life. I was trying to still figure out being a, a mom to little, little, little ones. And I just felt like there was just such a long period of time where I'm like, oh my goodness, Lord, like this life is so hard. And I just felt like I was struggling all the time. And I just got to a point where I'm like, I'm so not seeing like the fruit of the spirit in my life. I'm seeing so much bitterness and discontent and anger. And I'm like, just like looked at my life one day and I'm like, this is not the person I want to be. Mm. And so, you know, over the course of the years, I, I have worked with various therapists and various pastoral counselors and have had really, really sweet women who have just mentored me spiritually and carried me. And I just had to get to a point of just feeling like, like, I don't know who I am. I feel like I've lost myself. And that's when God was really like doing some unearthing in me of being like, you buried some things I didn't ask you to bury. 
And like that word was like, I could still, like, it could still wreck me because <laughs> yeah. like I, I, I had, like, I had to like very, very literally a lot of things in my life. And what I had done over the years was bury, bury myself as a creative, mm. bury the things that were actually important to me. Um, you know, I found so much purpose in being a mom and to feel so much discontent, especially after like, oh, I have these sweet baby boys, you know, after losing a child, I didn't know that if that was going to be possible. Like, how come I'm not thankful enough? How come I'm not happy mm. enough? You know, I berated myself because I didn't understand it. And it was like, is, shouldn't this be enough for me? Shouldn't I just be happy? And there was another part that God had to unearth of like, yeah, like these are wonderful things and they do make you happy and there's more for you. And there's something that you have to contribute. And it wasn't like, I, I didn't feel God it being like, I need more from you. I need you to perform mm -hmm. more. It wasn't that it was just like a sweet relief of like, you need to kind of come back home to me fully. And you can't do that until you're your full self. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Mm, oh my gosh. There's so much in, in everything that you just shared. And I want to, I feel like my brain is like, Oh, where do I want to go? <laughs> like, I want to talk about this and I want to talk about this. And I want to say first, I'm so sorry for your loss. I Thank think you. that that must be a grief that, um, is just, I think all grief and you maybe I'm sure you can speak to this too. I have become more acquainted with my own grief in the last um, few years, and I am finding it to be a constant companion, mm -hmm. sometimes in the worst yeah. ways and other times in the just knowing that it's present and, and you know, we can sort of acknowledge each other and, and yeah. move on with my day, mm -hmm. um, but that it is it is always present in some yeah. way. And I think that if you haven't experienced a, um, which I don't know, I feel like every person has experienced grief, Yeah. whether they, and I think it's not if you've experienced it, it's if you can name it and you can mm, recognize yes. it because yeah. it's not about, have you experienced something that's caused you to grieve? If you're a human, right. you've experienced something that's caused you yeah. to grieve. That's like part of being in this world. I think there's no Absolutely. avoiding it. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think we can sort of avoid it in the sense of just refusing to acknowledge it or refusing to name it yes. and let ourselves actually experience what grief has for us. And I do think that it does have something for us. Yeah. Um, I think that's what redemption looks like is that God uses grief to bring mm -hmm. about other things. And I don't, yeah. I feel like you there, I always feel like when we have conversations like this, um, that I want to have like a hundred caveats, you know, of like, mm -hmm. because I'm not yeah. saying this, like, I'm not saying this. Right. God it's hard because you don't want to overgeneralize. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. It's so nuanced, and but it is so nuanced and everybody's experience is so unique and specific yeah. to them. And you're walking through grief probably overlaps with what it's looked like for me, but probably we have very different experiences yeah. of that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that is true for everybody. But I, I want to just touch on um, I guess where I want to start in thinking about what you shared is, do you feel like, do you feel like entering into a space with God where you could, where you could hear that word to you that you mm -hmm. had buried pieces of yourself mm -hmm. 
sometimes for good reasons we do that, right? Like sometimes we have to, I think sometimes yeah. there's seasons where it's like, you do have to set this aside, mm-hmm. but yeah, but God's invitation to be like your full self. Do you feel like that came about at a specific time where you were ready to receive that word from God? Like, how did that come mm-hmm. to you? Does that make sense? I don't know if I'm yeah. articulating that well. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll respond to what I think you're saying. <laughs> 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 you can let me know. Um, well, I'll, I'm going to, again, I'm going to like back up just a little bit for the story. Um, for me, I was like, I've always heard about in church, like hearing the voice of God. And I never quite knew what that meant. And I know a lot of people wonder like, what does it mean to discern the voice of God? What does it mean you hear from God? Cause that can be like over spiritualized language and it can seem very like it's mysterious. And so like, what does that mean? And And so I was somebody who would just like, you know, fervently pray like in high school and college and like be wondering like, okay, God, can I hear from you? Like, what, what do you have to say to me? And I just, I never would say that I I heard God speak or that I felt like the spirit impressed something upon me. I'm just like, I don't, I don't know what's happening, but I'm going to trust that, you know, I believe that God's hearing my prayers and I hope that when he has words to speak to me, whatever that looks like, feels like whatever that is, that I'll know it. Um, And I never really had that sense of feeling like, you know, God was speaking something to me until those deep moments of grief were just like, I mean, I think I never would have thought that it worked this way for me. And I'm not going to say it works this way for everybody, Mm -hmm. but in grief, I mean, it just like, it stripped so much away from me. And I was just at such a a low point of desperation. And it was a lot like, you know, I talk a lot about the book of Job because I found just a lot of myself in those pages. And it was a lot of demanding God speak, Mm -hmm. (laughs) which isn't always the best to make demands of God. (laughs) And yet he's so gracious and merciful that, you know, he will allow us to make those demands. But it was just in those moments, I just started to feel like, a, you know, a thought would come and it was clearly not my own or a scripture would come to me that I had not thought of in years. Mm-hmm. And I began to discern, like, I think that this, however it is working is just God speaking to me. And for me, and I don't know if this is an Enneagram four thing. Mm-hmm. I don't know if we can <laughs> categorize it as that. I don't know what it is it really has been for me just in some of those darkest moments of grief or just motherhood or whatever it is that, that when I'm in an emotional place of vulnerability where I'm out of my own way, cause I've already tried to figure it out, God, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I've exhausted all of my thoughts um, that maybe there's some way that I'm creating some space to hear. I don't know. Um, but it just came. Like, I still remember when that thought came, I was, my husband was deployed. Um, my oldest son was three. My youngest son wasn't quite one yet. Um, and I was sitting with him on my bed and I I wouldn't say I was crying or as distraught or anything like that, but it was just a moment of just like, I don't know. I don't, like, I've tried to analyze it in my head and overthink about like, what was it about that moment that this Mm -hmm. came to me? And I think it was, it was, I can only attribute it to God's timing. I don't know if it was my timing. I mean, I would assume that he would speak it on his timing when I'm ready to receive it. Mm -hmm. But I do feel like there were promptings about just returning to this creative life and returning to myself probably all along. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of the journey for me 
was dismissing it for a long time. And Mm -hmm. so maybe just at that point in the journey, (laughs) and again, just getting to that point of desperation that it's like, okay. And again, for me, it came through a scripture. It came through the parable of the talents coming to me and just being like, maybe this creative thing, maybe this writing thing that people have told me for a very long time that you have a gifting for this. Um, maybe that was something that I was bearing and maybe it was a deeper, truer part of who I was and maybe not even who I was, but how God wanted to work within me, um, Mm -hmm. in, in his creative ways of revealing himself to me. And it's going to sound silly and I, but I'm going to know better than to dismiss that. But my first step and what I decided to do was buy myself a little writing desk and I'm going to start a blog and I'm going to write a blog. And I, I'd written in different ways over the years, but I was kind of at a point where I was ready to write for others, not just write for myself. And Mm -hmm. so that, you know, two little ones at home, (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Husband gone, not necessarily the best time to start a blog and start writing, but that was the journey of figuring out for me, how does motherhood and creativity work too? Yes. Oh my goodness. Which is like a whole other conversation that we'll (laughs) have to have because I, I know, um, that there's so many of us who deal with the tension of what that looks like to, um, have our hands and feet in these different things at the same time. And knowing that um, very few of us, if any of us have just one vocation, you know, you're a mom and an artist and a writer and a wife, you know, you, we have all of these things and we are all of them at once. And so to, you know, what does it look like to live an integrated life where we're not segmenting these pieces of ourselves or burying mm-hmm. these pieces of ourselves yeah. because we don't know how to do all of them at the same time. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, like that person who, who made that comment to you about art school, you know, sometimes we have someone who speaks a word to us about that that causes us to feel like we don't have a right to have all of these vocations at once. And then we, you know, there's the conflict of that. So that's a whole, we will, we will revisit that because at some point, I think that's a conversation well worth having. Um, because I don't know that the tension never goes away. It's just navigating it. At least for me, there's always a tension. It's just, you know, what does it look like to live it? But I, I so appreciate it's, I'm, I'm having such a hard time right now because I'm like, me too, me too. Like I'm hearing you tell your story and there are so many overlaps between your coming to this place and the way God brought me to this place. It's, it's a little bit unbelievable to me right now. Like, Mm. I'm like, Oh my God, I want to (laughs) hear. Oh yeah. We're like, we were literally walking parallel journeys at a different Mm. year. I think my Mm. year for that was, um, let's see, had I had my second son, I think it was closer to 2005 for me, but same parable God used to speak to me Mm. about writing publicly, same Mm. steps, starting a blog, stepping Mm. into this space. I mean, it's freaky. Like, (laughs) I love it. (laughs) Like, I'm like, Oh my gosh, okay, Lord, like this is wild. But I, um, I just really appreciate you sharing because I think that Grief is just such, I always think of grief as like a wild animal. That's my, my favorite visual for it because Mm -hmm. I feel like it's just so unpredictable Yeah, and you don't know which day it's going to like 
pop up and be kind of in your face all the time Mm -hmm. and which day it's going to maybe be sleeping at your feet, but it's like, it's still there, but it's more chill. And it just, you just don't know. And it, it can be all the things in one day, you know, in one hour. <laughs> You're yes. like, I don't know what is happening. Yeah. So I would love it if you would talk about how you, um, okay, wait, I'm going to back up because I'm, I'm yeah. what I, what I, where this is coming from is that in, in recent months, I have known people who have experienced something really hard and their first comments to me are around the concept of wanting to exhibit, maybe exhibit's not the right word, wanting to like show God's goodness through their situation. Mm-hmm. And I'm all for that. Like I'm not, mm-hmm. I'm not speaking against that. And I think that yeah. scripture gives us gives us stories like that where, you know, yeah. Job is a perfect example. Like God's glory shows through that story. Yeah. But that wasn't, you know, like that I don't know that if Job had gone into it with like well, I'm just going to make sure everyone knows how good God is now that my family's dead. Like, I think we all would have been like, what is this story? You know, like it's already such a crazy story. Yes. And I, I guess what I'm saying is like, at what point did you feel like, or how did it come to you that you Mm. wanted to work in the realm of connecting people with their grief and their Mm. writing or their art without feeling like, oh, I better make good use of this grief. Do you know mm. what I'm saying? Oh, like, 100%. I feel like I hear that and I just want like, to stroke the person's hair and be like, you don't have to make good use of this. Like, exactly. You don't I'm right have there with to you. do that. You know, I, know. Like, I, I mean, if you want yeah. to, and if you feel moved to. Yes, but you don't but have to, to. To come into it feeling like you better use this yeah. well. I just feel like, oh my gosh, yes. I want that. Yes. No, I'm right there with you. And I think for me, when I think of that first year, my like 2010 was my year of grief because my, my daughter, um, died on January 6th, 2010. She was Mm. 36 days old. My dad died two weeks later, um, Mm. right after my birthday. And so it was their back-to-back losses. And I had a very close relationship with my dad. He was like my best friend. Mm. Um, And so I was like grieving the death of my daughter without my dad, who was like my support, my source of wisdom. And it was like, Lord, how could you take my dad from me? Like, didn't you know I would need him in this time? And like, that was jarring to me spiritually. And there was so much grief. And it's so interesting because I reflect back on that year and I did do a bunch of writing during that time. The writing I did started as like an informational way at first to share updates, like kind of on our family when kind of prior to my daughter's death and prior to my dad's death of like, hey, like this is what's going on. This is what we're doing. And then it became sharing information about like their memorial services. So I was doing a lot of writing online to stay connected with family and communicate. But it was very like, it was not sterile, but it was very like removed and factual and informative still writing and still actually helpful, more helpful than I think I gave it credit for in that season. But I always like had this feeling I had to wrap it in a bow so nobody would worry about me. Mm -hmm. And I needed people to know my faith was okay. Oh, yeah. Like, like I, I, like I was lamenting to God pretty good at this time. I was like, no filters off with God. Like I, I was solid there for a long time, but there was this sense of pressure I put on myself to just 
make sure everybody knew, but, but God is good. And I believe that God is good. And I believe God loved me, but there was so much I was wrestling with and there was so much weeping and there was just, there was so much grief mm-hmm. and it was like, I don't know. There was this, like this, like strange, like spiritualizing over. And I don't even know that that's the right word, but it was like, find the silver lining. Like, let everybody know you're okay. Let her share that scripture to let everybody know that God is going to work this for his good. And like, mm-hmm. and I knew it at the time that it didn't feel authentic, mm-hmm. but I didn't quite know, like have an awareness of what was going on. I was just kind of observing like, oh, this is interesting that I'm feeling pressured to always comfort other people mm-hmm. before they can get worried about me, <laughs> you know, if that mm-hmm. makes any sense. And then it just kind of shifted over the years. And that first year, I feel like I was grieving and I could grieve. I was never necessarily afraid of emotions myself. Um, I didn't feel like I had a hard time grieving or moving through that. I actually did feel like, you know, there's a ton of moments where I'm like, I really sense like the spirit's nearness on this day, or I, I felt his comfort on a day where the sorrow should have been really bad. You know, there were different things like that where I'm like, well, like God has fully made himself known to me. There's no doubt here. But then it was more for me. It was almost like it wasn't going backwards, but maybe I would describe it as like layers started to get peeled off. Mm-hmm. And some of this I will like absolutely confess and be honest. Some of it was like bitterness starting to grow in me and some unhealthy seeds that had been planted in there. But there was just a part where I'm just like, it kind of started with seeing like, oh, I'm I'm feeling pressured to wrap this grief up with a silver lining. Um, I'm feeling pressured to let everybody know I'm okay. Where is the space in the church? Where is the space in, with my people to let everybody know like I'm not doing okay? To have that kind of vulnerability. And I know for me, this is going to go a little bit deeper here. <laughs> But for me, and kind of unpacking this with, you know, the people in my life over the years that helped me heal, a lot of it comes from my childhood background of I, at a very young age, had to become a parent of sorts. And I had a very emotional parent that I had to take care of. So I learned from an early age, like, I don't have needs. I don't have emotions. I need to take care of other people first. So even though I'm a very deep feeler, mm-hmm. I've also learned how to not tend to those necessarily. Mm -hmm. And so all of this started to just kind of unravel and unfold. And I'm just starting to process like these messages that I would see these Bible verses I would see about like, God has plans to prosper you. And, you know, the Jeremiah 29, 11, and just all of these, I started to notice I would bristle when I would read Mm -hmm. them. Like when I would see them on a coffee mug on a shirt, like I would just be like, this is a faith that is absent of suffering. And it was the version of faith I had. I had a version of faith that had this theology that if I did good, was good, I would be rewarded with good, which Mm. looked like being protected from suffering. And so I've talked about it and written about it in a way of like, the church kind of prepared me and taught me all about salvation and sin and forgiveness and all of that but I didn't get much of a theology on suffering or to expect suffering, even though like I knew the scriptures about Jesus promising, you know, troubles to us, but it didn't register for me. That was like, that's not for me. 
you know, I'm the good girl, you know, God's, I'm going to be in God's favor, which means there's not going to be like, for me, it's very easy for me to, to shame that part of myself that used to believe that. Mm-hmm. But yet when I step back over the years and I kind of like look at where my faith has been and be reflective, cause that's what I do. Mm-hmm. I see how there's been a refining of some of the, even like that theology I held about suffering. And so I, began to develop this like new kind of a grief or this new kind of tension. And it wasn't necessarily like anger at God, but it started to, I started to feel a little bit distant from him. And I was also feeling distant from like the church body. Cause I'm like, where is the place for people just to say they're not okay. Yeah. And nobody panics. Right. I've been met with people in my life that, that they panic if they see that I'm not okay. And that doesn't feel very good. No. But, but to have that friend, like you were saying, who could just be like, oh, like, like, I see you, like, you're not okay. And that makes sense. And mm-hmm. it's okay to not be okay right now. You know, like to just yeah. have that permission, just to have that validation, that empathy, that you're sad, you know, mm-hmm. it makes sense. You're grieving. It makes sense. And I learned how to do that for myself. But I, I I struggled with seeing it around me in my communities and in my church. And and we've had, of course, because we're military, we've had a number of church homes. And and I don't want to like um talk poorly about any of those churches and those people because a lot of them did carry me very tenderly and minister to me very well. So I want to be clear about that. But yeah. there was just this general sense of like there's something off about how we are kind of culturally as a church handling the message of suffering. And I get it. Nobody wants to be like the bad guy, like, Hey, bad news. Suffering's going to happen. <laughs> like yeah. this life might be really painful. Um, but I was like, oh, but like, we can't avoid this though. Like we can't keep avoiding and pretending like it's not going to come to us or touch us. And one of the things that I noticed in my grief, um, which was really interesting, and I don't want to get us down a rabbit hole here, but it was almost like, when people see that a tragedy has come to you or something traumatic has happened, it's really difficult to navigate relationships with because it can become really awkward and people don't know what to do. And, mm-hmm. um, it became like, um, a thing where it's like, if they get too close, then maybe it's going to happen to them. Almost like I think of like mm-hmm. being kids and like the, the game of like cooties, like yeah. if you touch me, then I'm going to get it. And so I felt like there was like, a distancing that happened. Mm. And so I want to like get back to like your question that you asked. And I was having to be really discerning at the time because I'm like, I don't want to write from a place of bitterness. I don't want to necessarily write unfiltered what I'm thinking right now. And so a lot of that time and processing for me through writing came just very personally through journaling. And I had to do a lot of that for myself first. And I was seeing just how much like I couldn't enter into a lot of my friendships and a lot of my relationships the way I wanted to, because this grief thing, right. was always Mm -hmm. like, like you said, it's like a companion. Like there were days that was just demanding so much attention that I could only give attention to myself, which felt very selfish mm-hmm. in the moment. And that's a whole other story. Yeah. But I really had to do a lot of tending to myself first. And to be very honest with you, I did not want to be the grief writer. Mm. I, Who does? For, right? I know for a long time, I was oh. just like, I actually took like a year off of writing at one point because I was like, this is I'm just so focused on grief and like, here is my life happening. And I felt like my writing about grief was just kind of 
keeping me stunted. And so I actually pulled back for a year and stopped writing about grief. And I just was kind of just trying to be present to life and what was happening. And I did a little bit of telling God, like, I don't want to be the grief girl. Mm-hmm. I don't want to be the grief writer, which is always me telling God things, which is always really fun of me. <laughs> oh yeah. I have the same, I have the same relationship. So but I, I then like eventually realized like, okay, maybe I'm not the grief girl. Maybe I don't always have to write about like child loss, which that's actually what everybody wants to hear about from me, which mm. I understand that I do. I have, I have um, empathy and compassion for, you know, people wanting to draw near to that part of my story. But there was a part for my own mental, spiritual, emotional health that I'm like, I can't just write about this and talk about this because it's not actually being healthy for me to do that. And mm-hmm. so I kind of broadened it a little bit and went more and toward went more towards helping people draw near to God in hard times and kind of went that route. Um, but like very early on, you know, I feel like the Lord kind of gave me this vision for like a book to write. And I really struggled with that because I'd always wanted to write a book. Like that was a childhood dream. That was one of those dreams that I just ended up dismissing and burying. Cause like, voice that I get that kind of, um, brings about a lot of resistance for me. And I was like, God, like, you knew I wanted to write a book one day. I didn't want it to be about grief. You know, this is not the story I wanted to live. This is not the story I wanted to write. And yet, and just kind of pursuing the relationship with him. Um, I still don't know if that book will be written one day. I've had various, um, you know, proposals written for it and whatnot, but that's another just like refining part of the journey is like, okay, I want to steward this Mm -hmm. suffering and I want to steward this grief and I want to steward the wisdom. And I think having gone through the types of grief I've gone through, having been through the military life I've been through, having felt a little bit like Job again, for those who know the story of feeling like in the church, I was pushed a little bit to the outskirts where I didn't feel like I had that positive, happy, joyful faith all the time. Mm -hmm. And I just felt like an outsider a little bit for just my relationship to pain and how I didn't need it to be positive all the time. I just wanted to let people know you can sit in it. And so like through all of that, it's just been a refining of, and like a discerning and a prayerfulness of, you know, Lord, what, what would you like me to do with this today? How do you want me to steward that? Does that look like a book? I don't know. And so a lot of it has been learning how to, and as a creative, I know that you'll get this. It's just more about the process. It's more about the process and the presence to the creative practice and to the Lord. And the outcomes are essentially a little bit out of our hands. You know, the outcomes I've learned to kind of surrender a little bit, or at least like loosen my grip, mm-hmm. <laughs> grip on them a little. And so for me, that's looked differently over the years, but I think it definitely just became, um, just noticing hurting people and having my heart broken open in wild ways and seeing my heart broken and, and feeling misunderstood at times, mm-hmm helped draw me near to a place where I was better able to write and serve other people in a way that I could honor everybody involved without draining myself and without um, coming from an unhealthy place myself. And I, I always wanted to be really careful as a writer because I did not want to be the writer that, that was like, Oh, you're grieving. Like go memorize the script. Like, let me tell you right. what to do in your grief. 
Let me tell you how to get over your grief and find hope. You know, there's a lot of like, let me get you to the other side. And I don't necessarily think that there's an other side of grief. Like you were saying earlier, I think it's very much like something that becomes integrated. And that's not to say that there's not redemption. There's not resurrection. There's not other things that happen, but it is a lot more of a shaping, a refining that's kind of developing you into a more mature person, a more Christ-like, you know, image bearer of God. Um, and so I think it just helped me naturally kind of transition in my writing and what I do creatively um, come, come to people who are grieving in a way that's different than I think I might've otherwise. I don't know if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I really appreciate your thoughts on this because I, I think there's just a lot of wisdom in how you've, how you've learned to navigate it and how you have, you know, come to a point where you want to steward it. And I think that that's the, that's the, um, that's the thing, right? Like, I don't feel like we don't have to do the work of redeeming the terrible things that we have experienced. That's God's domain. I really feel like that's not a burden that we're responsible for, which my goodness, thank heavens, right? Like we don't, Yes. what would that even look like? I wouldn't even know where to begin, you know? So we don't have to, that is not our burden to figure out how to redeem terrible things. But I do think that the gift of stewarding our pain and stewarding our grief and stewarding the experiences we have is our work. I don't think it's exclusively ours. God, you right. know, it's a, it's the three of us, right? Us, yeah. the Holy Spirit, all of us working together to yeah. figure out what that looks like. And I love that you reminded us that it isn't about the outcome. I often say that the outcome, I, I'm, it's a strong word, but I say it's irrelevant because mm-hmm. that isn't the point. Like the mm-hmm. point is the process and the work yeah. is done in the process. The work isn't done yeah. in an outcome. That's Mm -hmm. just what is almost like what's left over once all the making has been done. Mm -hmm. I almost could feel like if, you know, if you want to move away from sort of the um, like commerce mentality and don't think of it in terms of a product, think of it in terms of what's left over after the meal I'm mm-hmm. I'm a foodie. Like after the meal yeah. has been eaten, <laughs> yeah. you've made the art. This is what's left over. But like yeah. the process was where all the stuff was happening. Mm-hmm. And I think if we could come to those creative invitations, whether it's the writing. And I realize, like, even as I say that again, all the caveats, like, I know if you're writing a book, <laughs> like it isn't just about the process. Like I right. understand you do want to have a finished book at the end that people will actually read. Like that's, that is yeah. part of the point, you know, yes. Yes. but I know from my own writing exercises and even working with other writers. And I know you've experienced this too, because you said you work with writers as a coach. Mm-hmm. Um, you you run into writers who are working on something and realize that they can't work anymore on the finished product because there's work happening that needs to happen before they can move forward yes. with the actual writing that they intended yes. to do. You know, mm-hmm. you can you can have a goal and realize yeah. along the way yeah. that like, oh, that is not a straight shot from here to there. You're gonna have yes. to take a lot of detours. Yes. And you're going to have to go into the dark woods sometimes yes. and you might get lost sometimes yes. and you might wander off. Yes. But, and it doesn't you know, mean your goal is wrong. Exactly. 
Exactly. It doesn't mean it's wrong. It doesn't mean you should abandon it. It doesn't mean any of those things. It just means that there's something for you in the process that can't be ignored or shouldn't be ignored. You Mm -hmm. ignore it to the peril of your work. Like your greater work will suffer if you choose to not take those detours, which is hard because, you know, when you want to produce something, you're like, let's go. You you don't want to like, (laughs) I don't have time for these emotional detours. Yes. Like, yes. But, you know, grief, again, that's where grief sometimes says, well, I don't, it's not really about what you think you have time for. It's about Mm -hmm. you attending to this situation or this moment or this memory Mm -hmm. or this whatever right now, because it's not going to just go away because you want to pretend it's not there. (laughs) Well, I mean, I will tell you like right now that that's what I have been moving through as a creative. Um, I have just been for the past year, just kind of blocked on a writing project Mm. and I've been just moving, you know, I'm a writing coach. I help writers get unstuck, move through, identify all the creative blocks. And so I'm like using my own coaching on myself. I have a writing (laughs) coach myself and it's just been like, I feel like I've been trying to like chisel away at this, this creative block and like, just try to figure out the creative block. And if I could just figure it out, if I can just Mm. write it and just do it. And it's like feeling so stuck there still. And I just had such a moment of revelation just within the last two weeks of like Mm. the Lord being like, this is not a creative block. This is a spiritual issue that you and I need to work out first. It's not figuring out the creative block. And then like, everything is great. And I, and I knew, I, I know, I believe that creativity and spirituality are very closely (laughs) intertwined. Mm -hmm. And so I knew the creative issue I've been facing is a spiritual issue, but I was having it in like backwards order. Mm -hmm. Like, let me tend to the creative issue and then we'll get there, God. And God is like, no, (laughs) get to to this other issue first. And then I'll help you tend to that. Like first things first here. Yes. Oh my gosh. I've been there. And it's, I, it's so funny because I, I think we tend to approach things in that backwards order because I think, at least for me, I think this will be easier or this will be more effective or I feel like like I have more control over it to be honest. Yes. Oh, that's ouch. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. I have clarity on that. (laughs) Yes, it's true. It's true. We think we can manipulate that or control that the way we want it. And Mm -hmm. that if we can do that, then everything else will fall into place neatly. And I love that God is um, firm and kind to Mm -hmm. remind us like his way is better and he has a different way. And if we will just surrender to that and listen um, in the, in the long run, it will always be better to do it God's way, which is, you know, way easier said than done. But um, yeah. I'm I'm always learning that lesson always Mm -hmm. every day, Mm -hmm. all day. Yes. Yes. Oh my goodness. I feel like, I feel like we only scratch the surface. I, I want to keep going, but I know, um, we're coming up on an hour, which is insane. I can't believe that. So we'll probably, I'll cut us off here, but maybe we'll do a part two if you're up for it because. Oh, sure. I, I love chatting like about this could, stuff. <laughs> I know. I feel like we, I'm like, oh man, we got to go. We got to go further in. So stay tuned. We'll do a part two. <laughs> but, um, before I wrap up for today, I want to ask you two questions that I love to ask people. Mm-hmm. just for my own grins and giggles. Um, and that is, what are you reading right now? That's the first question. Okay. I am reading, I never used to be this type of reader, but I have become this type of reader. I'm reading multiple books at once. Oh yeah. I so <laughs> I am doing a memoir. I'm doing okay. Prince Harry's memoir. Okay. <laughs> 
And then I am reading nonfiction. So for me right now, my nonfiction is Brene Brown's Atlas of the Hearts, which I feel like I'm late to the game on that one, but I'm going to trust that that timing of it came just right. And then I am also reading, it's like, um, it's just right behind me. It's like a mini devotional called 40 Days of Being an Enneagram 4. I have that book. Do you really? (laughs) (laughs) So I am doing one of those days every morning. Awesome. Awesome. I'm writing these down so I can put them in the notes. Um, that's awesome. I have not read Prince Harry's memoir. It's on my audio, like from the library. I'm waiting for it. Lovely. Um, Atlas of the Heart. I'm also late to, I haven't read it yet. I've read many of her other books, but I haven't read that one yet. And that's awesome. So thank you for sharing that. Those are, those all look like good. Well, I know the last one, but the other two look good. I love um, Can I ask you, what are you reading yeah. right now? <laughs> yes. Okay. What am I reading right now? Um, I just picked up, I'm looking for it. I feel like you posted it. Was it what my, what the bones knew? What, what my, my bones know. What my bones know. Okay. So I just picked that up. I have not <sighs> even cracked the binding, but I'm going to say that I'm reading it because it's like, it's a, you're getting ready pot. for it. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm getting ready. So I'm reading that one. I'm also reading um, Year of Magical Thinking. I'm looking back because I'm like, there's my books. I read that Um, one last year. Did you like it? It was, I don't think I liked it as much as other people. I'll say that. Um, I think it took me to get to the whole end of her book and appreciate it. And I will say I went in not knowing what to expect. So, but I feel like it's interesting for sure. It is interesting. And I think I went in, I had heard a lot of hype about it. Like you Mm -hmm. probably did. And so I went in kind of like, and I, I've been a little bit like, okay, like it's, I like it. It's good, but I haven't, I'm, I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm, am I missing something? So I'm going to keep reading. I'm not going to quit it. I'm going to, my experience is very similar. Okay, good. And then that makes me feel better. So I'm going to finish it. Um, I also am reading through The Artist's Way um, because I'm doing, I went back to morning pages after years of not doing it. I had really um, gotten out of the habit. So I'm trying to get back into that habit. Um, And I feel like I'm reading something else. There's something else on my other night table. I have like, I have stacks of books in different places. Right here. So I just, you know, yeah, depending on which room I'm in and what I'm in the mood for. And I always have something going on audio and I'm a podcast junkie. So I listen to a lot Mm. of podcasts too. So I I probably get too much input of books and things, but I, (laughs) I I just love it all. So, um, (laughs) I, it's always feast or famine for me, but, um, so my other question then is, um, what is inspiring you right now? And that could be like anything, any genre of anything. That is a great question. Um, I am feeling inspired by other creatives lately, Mm. which is no surprise to me, but I guess just, it's really on my radar. I'm just looking at other women who are creatives and also entrepreneurs, and I'm watching them kind of just rock what they're doing. And I mean, I'll use like the stereotypical, like Joanna Gaines, like fixer upper, like I'm just like here binging all of her shows. I'm like, I love what you do. I'm so inspired. by you. Mm -hmm. And then just even I'll give a shout out to um, Carla with the Inspired Foundry. I don't know if you have Mm -hmm. the Inspired Foundry on your radar at all, but creative listeners who are interested, (laughs) I'll give Carla a shout out. I love her dearly. She has helped me 
kind of develop a brand for myself and my writing and my creative business. And I love everything that she does. Um, just everything is just beautiful visually. And she is an entrepreneur. And I just like, yeah, I'm just so inspired seeing other women who are creatives and entrepreneurs serving well, creating beautiful things. I love it. Oh my gosh. I love that so much. And that's the same kind of thing that inspires me too. And we're, again, it's freaky. We're on the same path. I'm doing a lot of that too right now. Just really watching what other women are doing and um, observing it like from a standpoint of like uh, being happy about it, like, you know, being joyful about seeing their work in the world and seeing how they are, you know, taking ownership of their, their space and, and their calling and all of that. Um, but also like, I just want to learn too. Like, I always Mm -hmm. feel like I'm learning from other people. And so it's inspiring to see other people, um, stepping boldly into where they feel called to do. And like, Oh, that's cool. I want to do that. And I can step boldly (laughs) into my own spaces. So, um, I love that. Thank you for that. Thank you so much. This was so, so good. I feel like you shared so many tender things and important things. I really Mm -hmm. hope that as people reflect on this and as they listen, they will just be encouraged and um, that they'll receive the invitation. I think that grief has for them to just Mm -hmm. accept its presence and learn and grow through it and grow from it and not feel like they have to put a bow on everything. Yeah. Yeah. I think creativity is such a helpful companion to join the companionship that you have with grief. I think the two actually function um, in a really hopeful way together. So, yeah, absolutely. Um, Real quick, before I forget, where do you want people to connect with you? What's the best place? Yeah, I'm all over everything at my name, Kristen Vanderlip, um, Kristen with an I-N, not an E-N. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, my website's kristenvanderlip.com. Um, I'm on Instagram at Kristen Vanderlip. Um, I'm on a couple other social media channels, but I don't love them as much as I love Instagram. So those are kind of the best ways to connect with me. Awesome. Thank you so much. This was such a gift. Thank you. Thank you. I was honored to, to have this conversation with you. It was a Refined the podcast is sponsored by Refined Media, parent company of Refined the Retreat. For inspiration and to learn more about what we do, what we make, and how to participate, connect with us at refineretreat.com or on Instagram at refineretreat. Thanks for listening. <laughs>